Journey Church. So fun to be gathered with you this morning online, even though we cannot be together here on site. Um, We just want you to know that we know that this moment is going to pass. But while we're in this moment, we want to bring those people that bring hope because it's not all bad. So we've prepared for you a top 10 list, the top 10 favorite things about online church. Here we go, Journey. Number 10, no lines to the bathroom. Number nine, I can make my coffee as strong as I want. Number eight, easier to avoid those awkward side hugs. One word, snacks. Number six, you can adjust the contrast on my shiny bald head. Wow, that is shiny. Number five, stay in your pajamas. That's a good one. Number four, no trouble finding a parking spot close to base camp. Number three, for you 11 o'clockers, don't have to stack chairs after the 11. Number two, preaching in shorts. And the number one favorite thing about church online Volume button. Our boy Van Epps can get a little bit loud sometime. Don't come at me now, Brian. Social distance, buddy. Hey, I wanted to let you know what we're going to do at the end of our gathering together. We're going to be celebrating communion together. So whatever it takes for you, wherever you're at, to pull together some communion elements. If you've got some juice, some wine, even some water, whatever you've got, some bread, some crackers, pull that together. Either, even if you're by yourself or with the group, we're going to take communion together. And uh, many of you have probably seen that Da Vinci painting of the Last Supper Uh, But one painting that you probably haven't seen is he did another painting called The Last Zoom Supper. Maybe you've seen that now. That's just good, clean fun. Journey, we're in our last week this week of our series that we're calling Puzzled, putting the pieces of our relationships back together. And what Brian and I have been trying to do is to walk through a chunk of Colossians chapter 3 and look at character qualities And things that we need to live out if we're going to have the kind of relationships that God invites us to have as his children. So we're going to continue through Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 15. Here's what Paul writes. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. As members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. And here's what Brian preached on last week. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that sermon, you've got to go back and listen to it. 16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. And here's where we're going today. As you teach and admonish one another, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That message of Christ, that word of Christ that we want to dwell within us, What Paul is saying is that happens as we learn to teach and admonish one another. I had a hunch after last week because I was just thinking about my application to Brian's sermon. Oftentimes, when we hear us talk about the word of Christ dwelling in us, we think about it in an individualistic sense. 
Because so many times in our culture and even the church culture, we can be very individualistic. So when it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, we often think that that is a you singular. It's about me. But in English, you plural and you singular are the same word. But in Greek, they're different words. And Paul is talking about a you plural here. There is an individualistic sense that we have to have our personal time with Jesus, our personal time in his word, hearing from him. But the outflow of that is to have an effect in our lives with one another, teaching and admonishing one another. That's how the word of Christ dwells in us corporately as a family. Now, word admonish, it's just not a word that we use very often. But here's what that word admonish means. It means to urge. It means to appeal, to correct, to exhort, to encourage, to challenge. It means that we take the word of God, not just into our own life, but we hold it up to each other's lives to help each other, to walk out and to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly together. Admonish. And I'm just gonna say right up front that I think I'm gonna say some things today that are gonna be hard for people to hear because you've got some relationship rules. You've got some lines that you don't cross in relationships that I'm gonna bump up against today. But I just wanna let you know I'm okay with that. One of those relationship rules that many of us have is this. The first one is mind your own business. That's how we often live our relationships. Mind your own business. It's not about getting involved in the lives of other people. The way I hear people say it now around nowadays is you do you. I'll do me, you do you. Other people say it in this way. Who am I to judge anything that someone else is doing in their life? Mind your own business. And oftentimes, this leads us to a second relationship rule that we tend to live out, is that we tend to talk about people rather than talk to people. When there's something going on in someone's life, we can tend to wanna talk about the situation rather than talk to the person and the situation. Oh man, did you hear about Frank? Did you hear what was going on in his life? Well, are you gonna talk to Frank? No, I'm not gonna talk to Frank, I'm gonna talk to you. We talk about people rather than talking to people. And sometimes in the Christian world, we kind of try to Christianize this or spiritualize this, and we do it in the form of a prayer request. We wanna take our gossip and we wanna use it as a prayer request. Here's what's going on in Frank's life. I probably shouldn't tell you, but so that you can pray more specifically for Frank, here's what's going on. We talk about people, not to people. We pray things, we don't say things. But here's what Paul wants us to understand. If the word of Christ, if the life of Christ is gonna actually dwell in us as a community of faith, we've got to learn to admonish. We've got to learn to urge one another, to appeal to one another, to challenge one another, beg people to follow God's word with their life. We need to learn to admonish. Here's what Paul is trying to help us understand is that we actually have the potential as the word of God is being lived out in our life to be the voice of God 
into the life of another person. And here's the deal, Journey. You know this, I know this. We all make bad decisions. We all have these seasons in life where we just start to drift away from the things that we know to be true. One of my favorite old hymns of all time is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And there's a line in there that I think is the most honest line ever in a hymn. Here's what the hymn writer wrote. He wrote that I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. Isn't that just honest? Isn't that just where we all are sometime at different times in our life? Maybe it's relationship decisions that we're making, financial decisions that we're making, seasons of life where we just know and we feel that we're drifting from God. Maybe you're listening to the sound of my voice right now, wherever you are, and you're in that place right now. You just know I'm drifting from God. What if? What if in that moment, someone you respected, someone that you knew loved you, came alongside you, they put their arm around you, and they began to urge you. They began to appeal to you. They began to challenge you. Maybe, just maybe there's the opportunity to save you from lots and lots of heartache. Maybe that, if that would have happened to you way back in the past, your life today would be very different if someone would have just come along beside you. As a family, as a church family, as Journey Church family, we can't have this, it's none of my business thing going on. Your business needs to be my business. And my business, the things going on in my life as your pastor needs to be your business as well. Because this isn't just about me. This isn't just about individuals. This is a we. It's a church. It's a family. We need to make each other's business our business. When I was younger, I had a friend, and he moved to Montana to go to graduate school. And when he moved here, he had a relationship back on the East Coast. And so for the whole of our relationship, we became really good friends. I never met the gal that he was dating. Uh, but after a couple of years, they got to the place where they were going to get married, got engaged, going to get married. He asked me if I would be in his wedding. And I said, absolutely. I would be honored to stand up for you at your wedding. A handful of weeks before the wedding, his fiance moved out to Montana to be around and to connect with him and to be around where they were going to live after they got married. And it was the first time that I had the opportunity to watch the relationship. And here's what happened. As I began to see them interacting with one another, I would just see there were these red flags that were just going up all the time, all over the place. One time, Carmen and I had been spending time with them. When they went home, I just started to complain to Carmen, like, did you see the way she treated him? Did you see the way that she was talking to him? There were so many things that were going on. And Carmen asked me a question. She said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I'm going to talk to you about it. That's what I'm going to do about it. And she looked at me and she just said, I'll never forget it. She just said, Bob, you are a terrible friend. You need to talk to him. You need to tell him that you don't think that he should get married to her. 
I'm just like, Carmen, you have no idea what you're asking. In a handful of weeks, I'm going to be standing on a stage with him and his bride, and I'm going to be the one who has raised their hand and said, I don't think you should marry her. I'm that guy down on the end waving to him as he gets married. How am I going to do that? And she said, if you are a friend, you'll tell him. You'll tell him what you think the truth is. It was one of the most difficult things I ever did was to sit down with him and say, I don't think you should marry her, and these are the reasons why. He was very gracious about it. He took the information that I spilled out to him, and he wisely went to a lot of other people in his life and said, Bob has said these things to me. Do you see these same things? And to the person, people said, yep, we see those same things. I don't think you should get married. I remember he called off the wedding, but I just remember him coming to me multiple times over the next years and just saying, thank you. Thank you so much for being willing to say the hard thing, to see me going down a path that I shouldn't be on and being willing to love me enough to say, make my business your business. Friends, we've got to do that for one another. Your business needs to be my business and my business needs to be your business. We need each other. We can't live out this, you do you. We've got to do we, and we've got to do it as a family. How? How do we do that? The book of Hebrews is gonna help us. I wanna give you just a little bit of context to the couple of verses from Hebrews we're gonna jump into. The writer of Hebrews, he is in the process of encouraging Jewish believers who are on the edge of faith. They are ready to abandon their faith. Moving from Jewish faith to Christian faith was difficult for them, and there was lots of persecution. They wanted to give up. They wanted to walk away. Their their faith was flaming out. Journey, we all have that potential. Every one of us has that potential to walk away. And the writer of Hebrews is going to talk to us a little bit about what that path looks like when we walk away, So that we can begin to see not only when we're on it, but we can start to see what does it look like when somebody else is on that path. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12. The writer says this. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, meaning the family of God. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The writer talks about a path. And that path starts with sin. Just maybe an incremental sin, an incremental compromise. And sin, as we're gonna define it, is just doing what you wanna do rather than what you know God would want you to do. It starts with sin. But then as we start to drift, as we start to move away, he talks about our heart, an unbelieving heart. Our heart actually becomes hard. We start to question the things that we believe. Our behavior affects our belief. And it starts out often small, little steps, small decisions, incremental compromises. But it lands us in this place where we have questions and doubt. Do I even really want to continue to walk with God? Friends, I've just got to say this. Sin is deceitful. Getting on this path is easy. And sometimes we start down this path without ever even knowing we've taken the first step. And then the next thing we know, our heart is hardened, our life starts to become hidden, and we just continue to drift away. 
Very rarely is it in someone's life that they just wake up one day and decide, I don't believe anymore. It's incremental. We start down this path. And so what we need to do is when we see ourselves on the path, when we see other people on the path of drifting away, we need to move toward them. Here's what the writer of Hebrews tells us to do. Verse 13, he says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that, meaning this is the result that we're looking for, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He's saying what we need to do is encourage one another. And sometimes when we hear the word encourage, we think it just means high fives, pats on the back. That's not what this word means in this context. This word is very similar to the word admonish. It means to appeal, to beg, to urge, to exhort, to challenge. Come alongside daily. We need this all the time just to maintain our faith, just to continue walking with God. So what do we do when we see people on that path? When you see people starting to walk that way, not mind your own business. It's not mind your own business, it's get involved. Don't just pray something, you have to say something. Get involved in their life. Don't just talk about them, be willing to talk to them. Now I know as you try to imagine what that might be like for you to engage in that way in the lives of other people, there's probably some pushback that's coming. I can just feel it coming through the camera from all over the country. One of the ways you're pushing back right now is you're just thinking, I would love to do that, but that just sounds awkward. It just seems like that would be so awkward. Just let me put you at ease by saying, friends, it will always be awkward. Stepping toward the lives of people will always be awkward. It will be difficult to do. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. If you don't feel awkward, if you feel like, I love this, I love getting in people's face, you're probably really bad at it. And you're probably not that effective at it. And there's probably a pile of dead bodies around you and your admonishment. It is always awkward because we love people. But because we love people, we've got to be willing to embrace the awkward. A second thing that I hear people push back when they think about engaging in the lives of other people is they say something like, well, I'm no angel myself. Look at my life. Look at all the things that I've done. I'm not perfect. And if you look at my life, who am I to judge anybody else? I mean, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Maybe I've done those exact same things. You know, I think that's actually a pretty good argument because we don't want to be a hypocrite. We absolutely don't want to be a hypocrite and Jesus doesn't want to be a hypocrite either. So here's my plan. This is what I've been thinking about. If we're gonna to begin to live this out as a church body, here's what we're gonna to need to do. We're gonna to have to put together what I'm gonna call our admonish posse. This is the people around our church that are the perfect Christians. And when I say perfect, I mean you've got no skeletons in your closet, you've got no failures, you've never drifted, you have got your act together. And here's what I want you to do. You can send your email to me, to me send your email to me 
at bob at journeyweb.net or if you're on the online chat right now, just put your name in there. We want to get together all the perfect Christians. Now, you know I'm being a little bit of a smart aleck, but here's the reality. We know there are no perfect Christians, at least not in our church. I promise you that. There are no perfect Christians. So you know what that means? That means it's just up to the rest of us. It's just up to the rest of us, even in our brokenness, even in our failures, to look out for other people. It's not our merit. It's not our merit. It's not our perfection that qualifies us. It's our love and care for the family of God, wanting to help other people. And I will go so far as to say this. I truly believe that if you've got a past, if you've got failures, it actually makes you much better. It doesn't disqualify you to admonish, admonish and encourage others. It actually qualifies you because here's what I believe to be true. When you've walked down some of those roads that have caused pain and scars in your life, it causes you to more easily be able to see that in the lives of other people. You can see when they're walking down that same road. Secondly, when you've walked those same roads, when you've experienced those failures, this is what it does in you for others. It makes you humble. You're not above anybody. You're willing to just get down beside them and love them, and you've got compassion because you know what it's like to have walked that road. Here's what I wanna ask you, Journey. Wherever you're at, I want you to just think about is there anybody in your sphere, anybody in your circle of relationships right now that you know is on that path? They're drifting. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's one of your children. Is there someone in your life that you know is drifting? And maybe right now, God would be nudging you to get involved, to make it your business. Not just to pray something, but to say something. Yes, pray, but get involved, say something. Don't just talk about it with other people. Be willing to talk to them. You have no idea what might be happening inside of their life right now. Maybe there's something in them that they're saying, God, if you would just show up, if you would just give me a sign, if you would just help me in some way, Maybe you are the one that God wants to be that voice into their life. Who might God be nudging you toward? But I also want to turn the table a little bit, and I want to ask you this question. In your life, in your sphere of relationships, who would you say feels empowered to step into your life when they see you walking down that path? when they see you starting to drift away? Have you ever asked anybody to come into your life, to speak truth into your life? Anyone that you've given passport to, you've invited them in. A good friend of mine one time, he did this with me in the most unique way, and I'll never forget it. He wanted to give me that kind of passport, but here's how he explained it to me. His dad was uh, an NFL football coach. He was one of the uh, offensive line coach for the New England Patriots. Um, you guys have probably never heard of the New England Patriots. Um, anyway, no emails, Vern or Daniel, please. 
anyway, he was, he was, his dad was a coach for the New England Patriots. And what he got, because his dad was a coach of the, of the New England Patriots, is he got this credential. And this credential says that you can go anywhere within the facilities of the New England Patriots. He said, I could go on the practice field. I could go on the playing field. I could go into the coaches' rooms. I could go into the locker rooms. There was no place that the New England Patriots said there was no spot that I couldn't go because I had a credential. And as we sat at the table, he reached across the table and he said, I want to hand you that credential. I want to just say to you, Bob, I trust you. I just want to say there is no place in my life that you can't go. Anything that you see, I want you to say something to me. Will you be that kind of friend to me? We need to empower people to speak truth into our life, to admonish us in anything that we see. We need to give people those kind of credentials. As we step toward admonishing people, I wanna just give you a handful of things that I think can be helpful, very, very practical as we move toward people. The first thing that we need to do is to ask God for wisdom and clarity. There's gonna be things that you're gonna need to ask God to do for you, a heart check. God's gonna need to give you courage to move toward people, to push through the awkward, to willing to sit down and say the words that you need to say. You're gonna need God to ask you. You're gonna need to ask God to give you compassion, that your heart in admonishing anyone or moving toward anyone would not be because you're frustrated with their decision, but because you love them and you want to help them. If you're not in a place of compassion, you're not ready to talk to another person. Ask God for wisdom and clarity. The second thing that you need to do is affirm the relationship. And maybe the way I would say this is lead with love. Lead with that you value them. They are important to you. And one of the things that I do when I have to talk to someone and say something hard, I just acknowledge to them, this is really hard for me. This makes me fearful because I love you and I don't wanna do anything to be misunderstood. I don't wanna do anything to damage our relationship. I love you. Affirm the relationship. The third thing that we need to do is assume nothing. We all know why we shouldn't assume, but besides that, assuming has an issue where we just need to be humble and understand that we may not have all of the information. It's hard for us. It's awkward to say the things, but sometimes it's hard to hear the things that we have to say. Don't assume that we know everything. Be humble. Fourth thing that we need to do is that we need to accept them. Regardless of how they respond, as we move toward them, we need to accept them. And I need to just be honest with you, not everybody responds well. Sometimes people continue to make bad decisions. They continue to drift. But this is what I want to encourage you, Journey, that if people do that, that it wouldn't cause you to draw a line in the sand and break the relationship. It doesn't mean that you need to love their behavior. It doesn't mean that you need to love their decision. It doesn't mean that you need to love the path that they're on, but this is what God asks us is that we need to love them. We need to continue to move toward them. We need to continue to persevere in love. One of the most challenging things that I watch in relationships 
is when people try to move towards someone and they make a bad decision is they use that as a way to break off the relationship. Sometimes I've even seen parents break off relationships with children because of bad decisions that they've made. We need to persevere in love. And the last thing that we need to do is we need to await their return. If someone walks down a wrong path, if someone that we know is drifting, we need to be waiting for them to come back. And here's what I wanna encourage you, Journey. Make it easy. Make it so easy for them to come back. Pave the way back to them with love and grace. One of the principles that we've been talking about over and over again around this series that we've called Puzzled is that we don't treat others the way that they treat us. We don't even treat others the way that we think they deserve to be treated. But the overarching principle of everything we've been talking about is that we treat others the way that God has treated us. How does God treat us when we drift? He gave us a great story to help us understand what is his heart when we drift. You've heard this story. Oftentimes we refer to it as the prodigal son, but it was a son that left. He drifted, he walked away, his heart got hardened, sin, deceitfulness, he walked away. But then there was a day when he came to his senses and he turned and he started that walk home. And I love the picture of how the father paved the way for him to come back home. The father didn't stand on the porch and wait for him to get there. The father ran out to meet him and he wrapped him in his royal robe. He put a ring on his finger and he threw the greatest celebration that we could ever, ever imagine. He made it easy for him to come back. Friends, God does that for us. We need to do that for others. Make it easy for them to come back. Journey, we need each other. Absolutely, Journey, we need each other. That's why my business needs to be your business. And your business needs to be my business. We can't just pray about things. Prayer is important, but we can't just pray. We need to say things as well. We can't just talk about people. We need to talk to people. Journey, we need each other. And one of the greatest ways that Jesus gave us to remember that we are all united together in our need for one another is what we call communion. It's an opportunity for us, a sacrament that we can celebrate together the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We remember together. We remember what ties us together by the power of the Holy Spirit, that broken body and that shed blood of Jesus. Wherever you're at, at your home. I want you to just get your elements together. I'm gonna to read a passage of scripture where Paul leads us through communion from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's what the text says. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Wherever you're at, take the body together.
In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, we just wanna say thank you. Thank you that you give us your table an opportunity for us to be reminded what it is that ties our hearts together. Jesus, you want us to be one. You want us to take care of one another. Jesus, it's your broken body and shed blood that accomplished that for us. And we just pause right now and we say thank you. Thank you for what you did for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.